If you're new, I am Jamie, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my distinct honor <clears throat> to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Luke, chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one provided for you in the pew in front of you. You can grab one of the black ones or the red ones. If you grab one of the black ones, you'll find Luke chapter 10 on page 868 and 869. If you're not familiar with how the Bible works, uh, the chapter numbers are the big numbers, the verse numbers are the little numbers. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you. That is this congregation's gift to you. So I'm going to read verses 17 down to 24, picking up where we left off last Lord's Day. We're going our way down to verse 24. Before we, after we read the passage, I'll ask for the Lord's help on our time together as we consider these matters. So, Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. Or who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And now before we go to the Lord in prayer, let's remember who exactly it is that we're speaking to when we pray. This is Almighty God, Lord of heaven and earth, and He hears us. He always hears us. Let's pray. Father, You are King and always have been. And you work out your salvation in the midst of the earth. Let us see your son this morning. And seeing his joy in you, let us rejoice in him. Give us eyes that we may see, ears that we may hear. Transform us into his likeness and image. In Jesus' name we ask. God's people said amen. Sometimes it is the simplest things in life that mark us the deepest. 
One of those things for me happened about 20 years ago in the early spring of 2003. My wife Sarah and I had recently become parents and our infant son, Micah, was lying on the bed as I was getting ready for work. And by accident, his hand grabbed a plastic bag and he starts swinging it around. What, you don't let your infants play with plastic bags? <laughs> what kind of parents are you? So Micah's swinging this plastic bag with his fat little baby arms, and he can hear the sound of the bag in, that it's making in the wind, and, and he breaks out into laughter. And it was one of the first times that Sarah and I had heard our son laugh. And there is nothing like a baby's laugh, right? That simple moment marked me for the rest of my life. Because it was in that moment that my understanding and experience of joy changed forever. I was shocked to find in that moment that my experience of joy in my son's joy to be profoundly greater than any personal experience of joy that I'd ever had. For the first time, I'd encountered a joy that was both deeper than anything I'd known before and was tied to someone else's experience of joy rather than my own. And in some fundamental way, which I'm sure I don't completely understand, God had tethered my, jo my joy to my son's joy, such that his enjoyment of something as simple as a plastic bag deepened and increased my joy in him and my joy in my wife. And my joy in life, it, my joy in plastic bags. <laughs> and I found the same thing to be true of all of my children. Seeing their enjoyment of something brings me greater joy than if I had experienced that thing myself. And I didn't realize it until years later, reading one part of one verse in the passage before us today, that this experience of joy must be what heaven's like. Luke 10.21 gives us a glimpse, a snapshot into what's been going on in the heart of God from eternity past. It is a sliver of divine sunlight to reveal a little of the emotional life, if I can put it that way, of the infinite, of the uncreated, of the immutable, unchangeable God. Here, Luke provides us a revelation of God the Son rejoicing in God the Holy Spirit and giving praise to God the Father for him doing what he loves to do. And although it is a whisper of a single note of the symphony of God's joy in being God, it is more than enough 
to radically change the life of every person in this room, top to bottom. And if God is pleased to give you eyes to see it, ears to hear it, your sense of, your experience of, your understanding of joy and of the Christian life will be transformed forever. When you see and hear God's enjoyment in being God, your experience of joy will never be the same. And if you are a Christian, Luke 10, 21 is your future. For what is heaven but an experience of the joy of God in being God, which never ends and is always increasing. And that's the thing. See, my joy in Micah's joy lasted but a minute, maybe two. But eventually babies lose interest in plastic bags or they suffocate themselves. Seriously, don't let your infants play with plastic bags. That moment came and that moment went and it cannot be recreated. Micah's 20 years old. He doesn't laugh when he plays with plastic bags anymore. The Lord gave Sarah and I that moment to teach us that he has built us to experience a species of joy that is greater and deeper than any joy that comes from personal experience. A joy that exists outside of us in someone else, namely him. And unlike my son's joy, God's joy never ends. And it is the eternal reality of heaven. It's what makes heaven, heaven. So here's the big takeaway from the passage today. God's revelation of himself through his son brings him great joy and brings down the devil. I love that. God's revelation of himself through his son to his people brings him great joy and brings down the devil. We'll see that as we work ourselves through this passage again. Let's look at verses 17 to 20 a little bit closer. So verse 17 to 20. The 72, if you remember from last Sunday, the 72 that were sent out, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Notice what he said to them. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, for the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So if you remember from last week, the beginning of chapter 10, the Lord sent out 72 followers of him into surrounding villages to go to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he gave them specific instructions on how they were to go about this. And the mission was a success. And the 72 returned. And Luke says they returned in joy, rejoicing. Lord, even the demons listen when we, when we cast them out. Now, Jesus hadn't said anything about casting out demons. 
But clearly the Lord works through them in this way. And as they went from town to town, healing people, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, the demons were run off. The forces of darkness were subdued at the proclamation of the Christ and his kingdom through his people. And look how Jesus responds in verse 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning to earth. Jesus is drawing language that comes from Isaiah chapter 14, which describes the fall of the king of Babylon, the enemy of God's people who had lifted up his soul to be like God and God threw him down to the earth. Satan is the arch accuser of God's people. The supernatural chief of the forces of darkness. And this is the first time in Luke's gospel that he is named. He's called Satan, and the name means adversary. He had rebelled against God, and God had banished him from heaven for his pride. The language and the context of this verse suggests that Jesus was watching Satan fall as the disciples proclaimed the kingdom. Now, of course, the great victory over Satan in the kingdom of darkness happens at the cross. It's made complete at the end of the final judgment when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever and ever according to Revelation 20. But there are signs of Satan's defeat throughout the ministry of Jesus. And as we see here, through the proclamation of the kingdom by his followers, the Lord reaffirms them of the authority that he had given them. He says that now you have, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all the forces of, of the evil one, and nothing will hurt you. Now, of course, Jesus is speaking figuratively here. So we won't be handling snakes and scorpions next Lord's Day as a proof of our faith. Because after all, what did Paul tell the Roman church? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. But Jesus is promising the Followers of him, that you'll be protected from the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Of course, you may be persecuted. You may be beaten with rods. You may even be killed. But ultimately, you are mine. And nothing will hurt you. Christian, you need to know that you've been filled with the Spirit of God. You've been united to God the Son. And you are safe in him, and you need not fear Satan or the forces of darkness. You belong to God. And that's what Jesus says to them next in verse 20. Jesus says, you have authority to cast out demons, tread on forces of darkness. And that is a wonderful thing, a good thing, God-wrought thing, but it's not a reason to rejoice. But there is a reason to rejoice. And the reason to rejoice is that you belong to God. That's real joy. Real joy is that you belong to God, that your name has been written in heaven. Now this, Jesus is using common language to the scriptures by referring to the writing of names in heaven. The Bible speaks of God having a book. 
into which he writes the names of the redeemed. It's called the book of life, or Revelation 13 calls it the book of the life of the lamb that was slain. And into this book goes the name of every person who has been redeemed. Moses refers to this book. Daniel, Paul refers to this book. Revelation 13, Apostle John says that God wrote every name of every believer in the book before he created them. So before he created the people, he wrote their name in the book. It's like a record of all of the citizens of heaven. And Jesus refers to this book here. And Jesus tells the 72 that the real reason for joy is not that you have power over the enemy, but that you have your name written in heaven by the hand of Almighty God. So real reasons for joy is that you belong to God. That's what makes you safe. Not your power over devils. What makes you safe is that you are in God. So he says rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now a couple of things about grammar in this this sentence here, the word rejoice appears in the present imperative, which tells us that rejoicing is to be an ongoing thing in a believer's life. We should always be rejoicing. The word written appears in a different tense, in the perfect tense, which speaks of an action that has been completed in the past one time, but that it carries effects in the future. And so Jesus is telling the 72, the ongoing effect of having their names written in heaven in the past is to produce the habitual practice of joy in the present. And this could be said of all of us who are in Christ. Christian, because your name has been written in God's book before the foundation of the world, rejoice today and keep rejoicing. So I just have to ask, how long has it been, PBC, since you rejoiced in God for his salvation? How long has it been since you thanked your heavenly father for giving his son to purchase your freedom from sin? It ought to be a habit of our lives to meditate upon these things. I'm reminded of the psalmist David's prayer when he repented and he said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Oh, that we would take up the habitual practice of rejoicing in God's salvation of our lives. Another thing about this name being written in heaven, once your name has been written in God's book, it will never be unwritten. You're going to blow it. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up royally. But dear Christian, you have an advocate with the Father, and he will never blot your name out of his book. 
Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus says to the redeemed, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Notice Jesus says he will confess your name before his Father and the holy angels. She's mine. I bought her with my blood. And so when you blow it, when you commit that sin that you promised God you would never commit again. And you have to come to him again, Father, please forgive me. You have an advocate with the Father saying, he's mine. And in that you can rejoice. There's real joy in that. Now, this reality of rejoicing in the work of God in your life is so much bigger than you think it is. When you rejoice in God for saving you from your sin, you are inching your way a little bit closer to an experience of joy that reaches beyond the stretches of time. A a joy that stretches backwards into eternity past and stretches forward into eternity future. Verse 21 is magnificent. Let's look at verse 21 again. In that same hour, Jesus, God the Son, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. There is an infinite supply of joy in Luke 10, 21. Church, behold, eternity passed in that verse. God the Son rejoicing in God the Holy Spirit, giving praise to God the Father. This is God the Son, God in the flesh, rejoicing in God the Holy Spirit, giving thanks to God the Father who, for what he is and for what he does. This is the whole Godhead in one verse. Have you ever wondered what God was doing in eternity past? Have you ever wondered what was before there was? What happened before Genesis 1-1? This, God the Son rejoicing in God the Holy Spirit, giving praise to God the Father. This is what God has been doing, taking the greatest pleasure in being God. That word rejoiced here, it's a strong word. It literally means to jump to leap for joy with happy excitement, to be exceedingly joyful, to be ecstatic. The prophets foretold of the Lord rejoicing like this over his people. Pastor Brett read it at the opening, Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Isaiah chapter 62 even likens God to the way a bridegroom rejoices 
over his bride. I don't know what your concept of God is, but have you ever thought of God rejoicing over you like this? And, and, And what exactly is the substance of the joy of Christ in verse 21? What is it in this moment, in that same hour, that makes God the Son leap for joy in the Holy Spirit? Well, he tells you, it is God the Father fulfilling his will to reveal his people, himself to his people through his Son. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. God the Son rejoicing in God the Holy Spirit, giving thanks to God the Father for doing what he loves to do, which is to reveal himself to little children. Not to wise and understanding folks, but to little children. The word actually means babies. That's not to diminish wisdom or understanding. These are good things. It's meant to reveal that God loves to reveal himself to the powerless, to, not to the wise and clever and the self-sufficient, but to those who have nothing in themselves to commend themselves to him. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is the Father's gracious will, and it causes God the Son to exult in him with joy ecstatic. So the 72 return with news that God worked through them and their healing and their proclaiming of the kingdom, pushing back the forces of darkness. And Jesus hears news of this and he's thrilled. This, PBC, is the joy of your master. His father bringing about his gracious will to reveal himself to his people through his son. This is what brings Jesus joy. And knowing this, how does that change the way you view church? How does that change the way you view evangelism? When we gather on the Lord's Day and talk of these things, the things of Verse 21, when we sing and pray and preach of the revelation of God to his people through his son, for their encouragement, for the salvation of the lost, we are participating in the joy that Jesus gets 
in his father for his father's work. What exactly do you think church is? It's this. It's it's the inching of our cold hearts one step closer to the blazing hot center of the joy of God in being God. This is why last week I said that church is serious business. We're not playing games here. We're taking our hearts, which God built to experience lasting joy in him, which have been cooled by the distractions and lesser joys of sin to to him, to be warmed by him so that we would catch fire and share him with others. Your joy and satisfaction in God is the greatest evangelistic tool that you have. Do you want to see the forces of darkness fall from the sky? Get yourself happy in God and tell others about him. You want to do spiritual warfare? (laughs) Get yourself happy in God and tell others about him. And friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm glad you came to church today. This joy that we've been talking about this morning, it's held out to you. But friend, your sin, your preference for self-rule, your rejection of God's son and rejection of his word prevents you from having that joy. But because God loves you, he sent his son to die on the cross. And when you turn to him in faith, repenting of your sins, confessing him as Lord, he forgives you of your sins. And he gives you access to that joy for which you were made. But friend, if you don't turn from your sins, continue to live your life your way, that joy will be prevented you forever. And we would spare you that if we could. Friend, repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. And before you leave this building, tell someone who looks like a Christian that you would like to know more about this joy that we've been talking about today. Jesus loves his father to get his way. And so he goes on to explain more of the Father's will, more of the Father's way. So look at verse 22. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so here again, we encounter this word, reveal. Verse 21, it was God was pleased to hide these things from the wise and understanding, and he was pleased to reveal these things to little children. And here in verse 22, the Lord helps us to see how it is that the Father reveals himself to these little children. In and through his Son. 
God reveals himself to little children in and through God the Son, through Jesus. And here again, we have more insight into the relationship of, the God, of God the Father and God the Son. Jesus says that God the Father has handed all things over to God the Son, all things. So all things, the accomplishment of his will on the earth has been handed over to God the Son. Which is why in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I came to do my Father's will. He handed it to me to do it, and now I'm here to do it. And, and we have seen already that the Father's will is to reveal himself to little children, to his people, which he does through his son. Now, this, this kind of thing is throughout Scripture. He, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 describes God the Son as the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So God the Son, Jesus Christ, radiates the glory of God. This is why in the Nicene Creed, it says that he is God from God, light from light. Jesus said himself, no one knows the Father but the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It's the same thing the Apostle John said at the opening of his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So there's only one way to know God the Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, and that is to have him revealed to you through God the Son, Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus say? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So put all this together. God the Son Rejoicing in God the Holy Spirit, giving praise to God the Father for bringing about his will to reveal himself to little children, which he does by drawing them to his Son, who is the radiance of his glory. And we keep going. As they see the radiance of the glory of God in Christ, they're transformed and they rejoice in him. And in their joy in him, they tell others about him. And through their proclamation of him, God opens blind eyes and they see the glory of God in Christ and are saved and rejoice in him. And Jesus rejoices in God doing all of this, which stirs up his people's joy in him even more, and that joy drives them to do as they're supposed to do and tell others more about him. And this cycle keeps going on and going on and going on. And there's a name for this cycle. It's called Christianity. It's called the Christian life. And then Christians, all of them gather together to see the glory of God in Christ, to hear of the glory of God in Christ, to participate in the glories of God in Christ so that their hearts would rejoice even more in the glories of God in Christ and they would recognize in their lives the things that are hindering their joy in the glories of God in Christ and remove them from their lives so that they can enjoy the glories of God in Christ even more. And then having been so moved, they leave this place and they share the glories of God in Christ with others. And this cycle goes on and on. We have a name for this. It's called church. It is the single most important part of your week. For you see, your Savior here, 
you hear your Savior here. You taste of his salvation here. And for the Christian, it is a blessing like no other. And, then, and, and this is why for 2,000 years, Christians have been gathering in some way or another on the Lord's Day morning to see Christ, hear Christ, and savor Him. Such a blessing. And that's what Jesus tells the disciples next in verse 23 to 24. This is where we'll end our time together. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. There is a tremendous blessing given to those to whom the Lord has revealed himself. If, if you know Jesus Christ, blessed are your eyes for having seen him. Jesus tells the disciples that prophets and kings have desired to see what they see, desired to hear what they hear, and they didn't get to see it or hear it. He's talking about himself. He's talking about his own ministry. Prophets and kings, they saw him in types and shadows. They see him in substance. Adam and Eve heard of him, the promised seed to come from the woman. Noah saw him in a shadow in the ark. Abraham saw a sliver of light of him in the ram caught in the thicket. Jacob saw a shadow of him in the man that he wrestled all night long. Jo Joseph saw what God would do in him when, after being rejected by his brothers, was raised up to become their savior. Israel saw him in God's protection of them through his judgment by the blood of the lamb. The sacrificial system foreshadowed him as the once for all sacrifice to atone for sin. Moses saw his back from the cleft in the rock. King David wrote glimpses of him in the Psalms. Jeremiah saw him as the branch of the Lord. Isaiah saw him high and lifted up as the suffering servant of the Lord. Daniel saw him as the son of man to whom are given all the kingdoms of this world. Here's the point Jesus is saying to the disciples in private, what Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and David and Moses and Israel and Jacob and, and Abraham and Adam and Eve longed to see, longed to wonder about, speculated, has come to you. That one that they looked for has put on flesh. Rejoice in him. What they saw in shadow, we see in substance. What they saw in types, we see in the totality. Knowing the glory of God in saving sinners. Seeing the joy of God in being God is the greatest blessing anyone can be given. So church, don't take it for granted. Rejoice in it.
Rejoice in him. For joy in Christ, your joy in Christ is one of the greatest tools you have to live the Christian life. Joy in Christ empowers your commitment to Christ. It's a tool to fight back temptation to sin. For why would you ever settle for the lesser joys offered to you in sin when you have the greatest joy in Christ? So friend, if you're struggling with some reoccurring sin in your life, get your heart happy in your God. And see that he's infinitely better than anything offered to you by sin. Joy in Christ empowers your evangelism. You want to be bold in evangelizing? Meditate on the glories of God in Christ and watch as he sets your heart ablaze. Joy could take the meekest Christian and turn him into a lion. Joy in Christ pushes back against the kingdom of darkness. Do you want to see the kingdom of God advance against the kingdoms of this world? Get your heart happy in God and tell others about him. Because when God reveals his glory in Christ to others, Satan falls like lightning. So it turns out, church, that your joy in Jesus may just be one of the most powerful spiritual weapons you have. (laughs) And how kind of your God to set it up like this. What kind of person (laughs) thinks, I got to give them some tools to accomplish my purposes on the earth. And one of the most powerful ones, their joy in me. Only God could come up with something like this. Only God. Let's pray. Father, what kindness is this to us to reveal your precious son to sinners like us and to give us eyes to see him and hearts to rejoice in him and then to use our joy as a way to accomplish your purpose. You've been so good to us, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for revealing him to us and for granting us faith to believe in him. When we think about your grace, Lord, we recognize how little that we have acknowledged it. Because so often we spend our days thinking little of the things of God and we settle for the the inane, frivolous, entertain ourselves with lesser things which cannot and do not satisfy. Please, Lord, forgive us for ignoring your Holy Spirit's draw toward joy. Please take these cold hearts of ours and warm them by the fire of your joy in being you. Give us joy in Jesus this week. Amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon.
Something we do at the end of our services every week is we go to God's holy word looking for an assurance that those who have placed their faith in him are pardoned of their sins. And today's assurance of pardon comes from Ephesians chapter 2, where we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved.